This episode, the challenges and joys of building your own board game cafe. Hello, hello, and welcome to the 16th episode of Board Game Times, the podcast about the people, places, and events making tabletop gaming great in Chicago. As always, I'm your host, Clark Bender. I hope everyone is enjoying the Chris Mahana Kwanzaa season and you've had the opportunity to play some games. I've personally been putting quite a number of games on the table lately. Space Base, Quacks of Quedlinburg, Camel Cup, some slightly heavier stuff like Nidavellir, Concordia. Furnace, The Search for Planet X, Wingspan, had a chance to teach some games. It's been a great gaming season all around. I've still got a stack of games as tall as me, actually taller, with many unplayed games in my library. Hope to get to those one day. Who knows when? How about you? What have you been playing? Send me an email. Let me know. Anyway, I want to get right into this episode's interview. I spoke with Drew Lovell, the co-owner of Bonus Round Board Game Cafe, just south of Wrigley Field here in Chicago. I'd never met Drew before, but he and his wife Courtney were recommended to me by several past guests, and I can see why. When you hear Drew talk about the challenges he and Courtney faced bringing the cafe to life and then keeping it on life support during the pandemic, I just found myself drawn to their story and happy that they stuck it out when I'm sure there were a lot of times they considered giving up. I think you'll find it as compelling and informative as I did, so let's get right to the interview. I hope you enjoy it. I'm joined today by Drew Lovell. Drew is a co-owner of the Bonus Round Game Cafe here in Chicago, along with his wife, Courtney Hartley. Drew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. And I love being able to promote the community and a great business like a board game cafe. So let's just get right into it. Tell me a little bit about your background growing up where you're from, if you're not originally from Chicago, and how you came to be here. I originally grew up in California. My dad was a movie critic. Um, My mom worked in PR. So we had a whole lot of watching movies as a kid. They were a big part of my life. Uh, My stepdad was a theater teacher, and he was really into games. Um, He's the one that got me into games, playing D&D, playing chess, Axis and Allies. We used to play that a lot when I was younger, too. Didn't really get too much into board games until later in my life, but I still had that like foundation from playing stuff with my stepdad, and he was a big influence for me there. Dropped out of college a couple semesters in um, for just a variety of reasons, and uh, when I did, I moved out here to Chicago just to get away from California for a little bit and uh, kind of just get a change of pace, um, get away from things, and spend some time out here. I have family out here, so I was staying with my aunt and uncle for a little bit. My grandparents also live out here. I ended up moving back to California. Um, after just being in Chicago for a year or two, at that point, I was probably like 21 or so back in California, trying to figure out what I was going to be doing. After a little bit, I ended up uh, landing in a record store and, uh, I ran a record store for, I want to say about eight years or so. The record store is kind of an interesting thing all unto itself. I mean, we, I could do a whole podcast just of like telling stories from the record store almost. Cause it was like working in the Bermuda triangle. No two days were the same. Um, it was always keeping you on your feet. The record store I worked at was uh, called Rasputin. I was working there for a while and um, made my way up to being general manager of the store and ended up kind of taking on some regional manager roles too of just opening other stores and helping out with staffing and stuff there, which was a really great like learning experience and gave me a lot more confidence in myself and was just an all-around good opportunity. Working in a record store, it's like working in a warehouse as far as lifting and carrying stuff all day. Uh, I don't know how many people listening have carried heavy crates of vinyl, but trust me, crates of vinyl are really heavy. But when people think of record store, at least here in Chicago, because uh, commercial real estate is totally different in, compared to Chicago and California, where there's all kinds of huge buildings and parking lots. So people see a record store here and, you know, it's a pretty small place, like the size of a coffee shop or something. Uh, the record store in California, at least the, the branches I worked out of, it was like the size of a small CVS. Like it was big. Um, and so it was real big um, compared to a lot of other record stores you see. Working there was a lot of fun. It was uh, kind of different than a lot of other record stores 
we worked off of volume. So a lot of our sales were from like buying and selling used stuff off, off people, whether they were just cleaning out their garage or if they had a relative pass away or if they were moving or they just wanted to recirculate their collection and kind of get some new stuff, all kinds of things. That kind of knowledge of the logistics and the financials of running a business like that and seeing what it takes to, you know, break even and all that was obviously really helpful when we moved on to the cafe. After about eight years or so at the record store, I was kind of getting sick of it. Courtney and I had been married for a couple of years at that point. And when Courtney and I got married, I mean, Courtney promised me that we would move back to Chicago at some point because I really missed it after uh, being out here post-college. And I wanted to spend some more time with uh, my family, with my grandma and grandpa while they were still around and everything. And I I just really miss Chicago. I love the city. Uh, Chicago is amazing. There's always stuff going on, uh, all kinds of great food. The public transport is so much better than California. It was kind of a good timing. I was personally really sick of working at the record store just for all kinds of reasons. I wanted to change a pace and um, it was time for, for me to do something else. Courtney really liked their job uh, doing data entry back in California, but was willing to take the chance to come back out to Chicago and um, move out here. We knew we were going to move about a year before we moved. We took some time and, and made sure that we were sure about it. And, and pretty much right away, uh, as soon as we decided that we were going to move, we knew that we were going to open a board game cafe in Chicago. We were pretty committed to that. This is like four years prior to us actually opening bonus rounds. So there's all kinds of trials and tribulations that were between the time we decided that we were going to move to Chicago and when we actually opened bonus rounds doors. So there's like a lot of rough times in between there. But we decided that that's what we were going to do. And we stuck to it. We were like really committed to making sure it happened we knew that there was, we were either going to do it all the way or we weren't going to do it at all. And I've always wanted to own my own business. Courtney and I both come from a pretty like punk rock, uh, do it yourself background and everything. That's a big part of who we are. So, how did you come to that business? So, you must have met over a shared interest in gaming or discovered that shared interest in gaming. How did you discover that, that bond? We met online through a, like a punk rock forum where everybody like talked about just various things. And over time, we just started talking more and more. And um, Courtney was living in Southern California at that point. And every once in a while, we would, you know, one of us would fly either to San Jose or to LA um, to see one another. And, um, and, you know, the relationship just built up uh, over a year or so. And eventually Courtney moved up to um, San Jose to come live with me. After a couple of years of that, we got married. I've considered myself very lucky to have found Courtney. They're awesome. That's great. Congratulations. So where in that process... Where, where do games come in? I, well, I could see punk rock talk. You, you could be like doing that like day and night and day and night. And somehow at some point, the board game thing slips out, either because Courtney mentions it or you did. How'd that happen? So Courtney wasn't really into games. I was into video games a lot. Like I played Magic a little bit in high school, and I got back into it after moving back to California. And I played for a couple years and I enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed playing really competitively and, and playing at tournaments and stuff. And Courtney would come at the end of a tournament to come pick me up. And that was always kind of a, an awkward moment because we'd be playing magic at one of these places. And a lot of places where magic is played, those game stores, magic kind of takes over. Once you open Pandora's box, it's hard for a lot of stores to do much else other than magic. It brings in that crowd. It can be pretty gatekeepery or toxic in some crowds if the store doesn't really put their best foot forward and control the audience and control what their community's like and set the tone, then the community is going to set the tone for them. And in some cases, that's not the best thing. I would say this is kind of one of those places where I was hanging out where, you know, Courtney would come pick me up and I would always feel bad because it would be a hall of dudes sitting at card tables playing games and there wasn't a woman in the store to be found. Corny would walk in, everybody's like neck would snap and people would make a feral hiss. Uh, I exaggerate a little bit, but, uh, you know, it was, um, who is this coming into our space kind of thing. And, uh, you know, Courtney didn't really feel too welcome there, but we did eventually start playing board games together at home. Um, we got into Carcassonne was like the game that we used to play every single night. Carcassonne was huge for us. We got sick of it after a while when playing a game that much. You definitely do. But we were playing a lot of that, playing a lot of the DC deck building games from Cryptozoic. And we would play uh, Lords of Waterdeep was like one of the games where Courtney's like, wow, I really like board games. I want more of this. So Lords of Waterdeep was like Courtney's gateway game. It developed over time. 
us playing stuff together on our honeymoon. Uh, we went to Toronto and among other things, while we were there, we went to snakes and lattes original location. That was just kind of on a whim. One of Courtney's acquaintances said, Hey, you should probably check this place out while you're here. I think Drew would really like it. They were very right. We thought that place was awesome. And so over time, the seed was planted on a couple different angles. You know, my stepfather having gotten me really into games when I was younger and that kind of uh, flourishing in Courtney and I finding that us going to snakes and lattes definitely opened our eyes a bit. Uh, working at the record store and just kind of like definitely inspired some more entrepreneurship in me, I would say. And we were pretty sure that this was something we could do. We were pretty confident that we could figure out what we needed to figure out. And Courtney had a background in catering. Her mom was a caterer for a long time. And Courtney did a lot of cooking at home and stuff. So we had a decent foundation to build on from there. So you're talking about it. You move back to Chicago. And even as you're moving back to Chicago, you knew this was in the plans. So you hope this was in the plans, right? This is like, this is going to happen at some point. Actually, so much so that I made a couple trips to Chicago um, by myself or Courtney and I both in the like year leading up to the move. And it, part of it was like scouting locations and just trying to see what was out there what we were going to be paying for commercial real estate, getting to know neighborhoods. Because I had lived in Chicago before, but neighborhoods changed year to year. And so I was coming out here uh, once every two or three months just to um, spend some more time out here a week or so. Went and visited a couple of locations that we had our eyes on. There was a laundry list of, I would say, 20 to 30 things that we had that you could check off of like what makes a prime board game cafe location. And unless like at least 27 of those 30 things were checked off, it just wasn't worth taking a chance on the location. You know, stuff like being near public transport is obviously important. Being near other vibrant businesses, other businesses that are open in the evening, especially like other bars and restaurants. If you can be in an area where people are going to go out to eat and have a good time with your friends, well, then you're in the right spot. Being well lit, being near a college, it's not like critical, but at least here in Chicago, um, with good public transport, nowhere is too far from DePaul or you know Northwestern or, or any of these other schools that are nearby that we see a lot of kids coming into the cafe from. I would say mostly we were focused on the north side for this first location. And we were looking at uh, Lakeview, Lincoln Park, Logan Square. We started looking like Ravenswood and moving a little bit closer to Andersonville and stuff like that. Um, but we didn't want to go too far north. Most of them ended up being you know, within a mile or two of Wrigley Field, I feel like. So we were we were here 2015. And at that point, we already had our eyes on two locations that um, we'd already been talking to the landlord and the brokers and stuff. And we were decently close to signing a lease on. In fact, one of them, we were probably days away from signing a lease and then everything fell apart. So we moved here in June and I think that was August. So we were moving pretty fast. And I was pretty confident that I could get in a location open pretty quickly because I had done stuff like that on, I would say, in some ways, a larger scale with a record store. This location that was in, it was kind of by DePaul, so Lincoln Park area, I guess. It fell apart for a number of reasons. I think the main reason that it fell apart was we were under the understanding that they would be fine with us getting a liquor license. But as we got closer to actually signing the lease, I think there was a condo a set of condos above the building and the HOA had an agreement with the landlord of the commercial space that they wouldn't lease it out to somewhere that was going to pursue a liquor license, but they didn't tell us that till the very last second. And that was a deal breaker for us. When we're talking about like the list of 27 or 30 things, that's like one of the things that was near the top of the list. I was totally heartbroken at that point. Like we had put a lot of effort into that location. It was hard for me to see it in that moment, like in the days after the lease falling apart, but that was one of the best things that happened in the timeline of bonus round. It took us about two more years from then, actually three years from then to open bonus round in Lakeview at 3230 North Clark, where we're currently located, right? That was a lot of time between that moment when we thought we were ready to sign a lease and when we actually opened three years later. That three years, we gained a lot more knowledge, a lot more confidence. We had the business plan flesh out way more, like night and day difference. What happened in that time is what made Bonus Round currently successful. There is no way that Bonus Round would have done well at that location. It was just too small. There was too much work that needed to be done. It was laid out poorly. All these things that maybe we didn't recognize right at that time, it would have been a completely different business. 
And I was, like I said, I was really sad at that time. It was, that was heartbreaking for me, but um, we recognize it maybe like six months later. So Courtney and I were very grateful that we didn't sign a lease and didn't commit a lot of money into building it out and all that stuff. Right. Who knows what would happen if you'd opened there, right? That may have been the end of that particular dream or at least a long detour. We initially started talking, you and I on the podcast of let's hear a little bit of Drew's story. And I haven't talked as much as I should be about Courtney. Well, you mentioned Courtney having a background in catering, right? Because you never mentioned any talk of food in your life other than food in general. So I can see how your record store experience is really important. But the cafe is in the name. We complement each other very well, making sure all of our bases are crossed. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of like the people person and making sure the money works and I'm the math guy. Um, and Courtney is in charge of all the back of house stuff with all the food in the kitchen and making sure we have the right beers and all and now cocktails and all these other odds and ends that are absolutely amazing. And Courtney's done a great job on it, making sure the decor is great and that we're building a great community and we're setting the tone of what we want our place to be and be super inclusive and be welcoming and um, no gatekeeping and all this other good stuff. Uh, Courtney and I have worked really hard on that. And so that's what I was going to say is, you know, up until that moment where um, that lease fell apart in what it would have been like August of 2015, between the years where the lease fell apart and when we actually opened bonus round, those years are the years that really were formative for bonus round. The two and a half years there, there was some heartbreak and there were some really hard times. Like it helped us figure out really what type of business we were trying to create. We knew when the lease fell apart, we weren't in a rush anymore. Uh, we were gonna. We knew we were both gonna have to get other jobs and do all this other odds and ends, and that's what we did. And so at that point, we said, "Hey, uh, this is gonna take longer than we want it to, but we're gonna take all the time we need." And so we did. We took some time. We did a lot of planning on the business plan. We had a friend. She had helped a couple other small businesses get on their feet. She really made sure that we were revisiting every single thing that we'd already kind of taken for granted of what we were going to do and that we were really sure of ourselves and that we were kind of leaving no stone unturned. So we completely rewrote the business plan. What was once a four page business plan, I think ended up turning into like 25 pages or so by the time we opened the cafe. So I'm curious, what do you think was gained over that time? You talked about how you're refining the vision. If you had to look back and say, wow, here are the two or three things that we really look at as our success? What would you think those are? A big one. I had spent a lot of time doing the numbers and running spreadsheets and creating this formula that was actually pretty accurate with what we were going to do financially for the business. I had things down to like, okay, based on the size of the location, I could input a square footage and it could spit out roughly uh, how many tables and seats we were going to have in the restaurant, how big the kitchen needed to be, how much room we were going to need for games, all these odds and ends. It had all these things of like how much money we're expecting to make day to day, like Mondays should be this much, Tuesday should be this much and so on. What payroll is going to be, what different times a year we expected different revenues and everything to be. For not having opened a board game cafe before, it was actually pretty accurate and it helped us guide a lot of things and where we should be allocating our money prior to opening, making sure that we weren't overspending on one so that something else was not going to have money to spare for it especially when build out can take a long time. And you know, you're spending a lot of money at the beginning, you get to the end and you realize there's not any left, you could really be in trouble. That was one of the bigger things. Um, Another one was with Courtney and I not opening the cafe, uh, we both needed to figure out what we're going to be doing for work. I was picking up a lot of odd jobs and gigs and stuff because I still needed to have some spare time to do backend business planning and stuff like that. Courtney was still doing a lot of that, but I was taking a lot of it on my shoulders while Courtney eventually got a job at Chase. In that time, we ended up doing like a lot of catering gigs. I started working food service stuff uh, around the city, kind of doing work as a line cook and um, doing other odds and ends uh, for friends who run a pretty successful catering company here in the city. We weren't close friends prior to Courtney and I working for them, but over the time, we became very close friends. And then I would say they're some of my closest friends in the city now. Rebecca and Luke who run Puffs of Doom here in the city. They were so helpful and so open with us on just what they thought we needed to do in order to succeed. And in the days and weeks leading up to bonus round opening, they were helping make sure that we were um, going to pass the health inspections and everything with flying colors and making sure that we didn't miss anything there. We really owe them. And I'm really happy that they're that I can call them my friends. 
Well, I can imagine that experience was invaluable when you're dealing with a cafe, right? I mean, if you hadn't had food as part of your personal business, it would have still been helpful as a business advice, but knowing how well that probably folded into your menu and managing the kitchen, it's a whole other kind of business. It's way different. I want to say the third thing of what we gained during that time, really figuring out what the brand bonus round was and locking that down as far as figuring out what our identity is, how we want to operate, how we want our customers to see us. And we always knew that we wanted to create a very inclusive game community. We want to be a community space. Uh, We want to be a place for people to gather, whether they're people that are really into games or people that are just looking for something fun to do. That's the place we wanted to be. Those two and a half years or so gave us more time to figure that out. And that was time very well spent. So when did you finally open? March 21st of 2018 is when Bonus Round opened for the very first day of business. There were already a couple gaming-related businesses here in the city. Um, Guthrie's Tavern, which unfortunately was shut down, it looked like, for good uh, during the pandemic, has since, I think, recently reopened about two months ago, I want to say. And so good for them. There was another place in the city called Geek Bar. They had opened shortly after we moved here they had a very rocky time. And from what I understand, a lot of mismanagement, their kind of collapse left a sour taste in a lot of people's minds in Chicago. And so when we were working, we were constantly getting questions about Geek Bar and whether we were involved with them. And just like, well, they failed. Do we think bonus round can succeed? And so we had to deal with a lot of that because we were the first here in Chicago, as far as like board game cafes go. All of our staff can teach nearly all the games that we have in the restaurant. Prior to the pandemic, we had a library of about somewhere between six and 700 games. But right now it's about 300. With the pandemic happening, we had to keep the lights on somehow. And it's almost a miracle that we're even still around because any business that made it through, my hat is often them. whatever type of place they are, food service, um, a retail, whatever it is, you can't even understand how hard the pandemic was for, for people in small businesses. And it's still really tough. It's not over yet. Week to week is still really hard. I wish I could say that I have like a crystal ball and I could say that the future of bonus round is going to be amazing, but it's still really tough on a day-to-day basis. People still aren't coming back the way they used to before. It's getting better, but every time there's a resurgence or every time, how would I put it? The city makes maybe not the optimal choices in how to handle the response. We see customer interest wane. And, you know, things go back and then we start having a bad day or a bad week at the cafe. So you opened in 2018. You had about, what, like a year and a half before the pandemic. You, you want to know what's like sad in this case? The day that the city shut down all restaurants was to the day, our second anniversary. We had already made plans to launch all kinds of like we had events planned for it and celebrating. I know I said I was going to mention our staff. At some point, I should give them a shout out at this point. Besides Courtney and I, we have five employees. Prior to the pandemic, I want to say we had seven. Some of them ended up moving out of state, go back to college or this and that. But all of the staff that wanted to stay on at bonus round, they are still with us. And we actually managed to pay them throughout the whole pandemic or, or nearly all of it. Obviously not what they were making before, but we were trying to help out as much as we can. They work really hard and they deserve it. We're really grateful for all of them. So Leticia and Deirdre and Brianna, who were the ones that stuck around, we're really grateful for them. Those first two years pre-pandemic, was that at that point in time full-time for you and Courtney or was it full-time for one, part-time for another? How did that, how did that work out? Yeah, good question. When we opened from the moment I signed the lease, maybe even a couple of weeks before then, I was working, I'm not exaggerating, somewhere between on average 110 hours to 120 hours a week. Yeah, I was just cafe. It really didn't leave time for anything other than sleeping and going to the cafe. I was doing that from probably six months past when the cafe opened until like August or so. What was it like the first couple weeks or months kind of thing? Try not to use like expletives here, but we were really hustling. I was full-time at the cafe. I mean, obviously I was triple full-time at that point, right? Courtney was full-time at the cafe and at Chase the whole time. So Courtney was working two jobs, both at least 40 hours a week. I think Courtney was about probably... 50 at chase and 50 at bonus round. After about six months or so, we hit a point where Courtney could leave chase and bonus round could afford to pay both of us. 
enough to keep things moving. And so Courtney made the decision to leave Chase. And then now Courtney's back at Chase. And they're really grateful to have her, obviously, because she did well before. So you're working your butts off for two years and then pandemic. How long were you fully shut down because of the pandemic? The short answer is I would say a year. There was a a short period mid-pandemic that the city of Chicago let restaurants open back up. That was in October. I think the city mostly did it for political reasons with the restaurant groups and stuff, wanting to get some money coming back into the restaurants. I don't think a whole lot of restaurants really did well during that time, but some of these places were packing the house. They were not following the rules as far as like safety and COVID protocol. For us, like we're going above and beyond at the cafe, even these days still we're requiring proof vaccination and masks and all these things because we really don't want to get shut down again. And a big part of bonus round is like us saying we want to be the change we want to see, right? We really wanted to create a place where everybody felt welcome playing games. And that was really important to us. That complete tangent from whatever I was just talking about. And I know I'm totally scattered. No, well, then the pandemic shuts that down. It stops your progress, not just for you, but for your audience, right? Your customers, your friends, whatever you call your clientele. Yeah, thank you. You jogged my memory perfect. For us, we're primarily like a community event space, place for entertainment. And all that was gone. Like that's not even possible when everything was shut down like it is. Sure, even if the city allowed you to be open, you think customers are going to want to come back when everybody's very concerned about safety issues with uh, this global virus being spread? Understandably, of course, they're not going to. And so we switched over to a retail model. Before the pandemic, maybe we had a shelf, a small Calyx shelf of games that were for retail sale. We wanted as much of the space within our building to be used for food service and entertainment and all these other things. That was what was making the cafe money. And it was what we wanted to create as a business. So we invested a lot of money into inventory and everything to turn to retail so that we could at least keep the lights on during the pandemic. But ultimately, that community aspect wasn't something we were doing. That part was really rough on a personal level. The thing that we had worked so hard to create, it wasn't even possible to do it anymore. Man, that's really rough. Like, I do not want to go through that again. Right. Yeah. But the good news is, is you... You are reopened now with, you know, whatever restrictions continue to be in place. So Yeah, our capacity so, is still lower. We still have, you know, we're taking safety precautions and all that. But people are coming back. We're still filling tables and getting seats and everybody is having a great time. What I really missed this whole time was everybody being in the cafe and accusing each other of cheating and yelling at their friend for um, drawing the wrong card or rolling the dice too well and, and all that stuff. And the fact that we have people back in the cafe celebrating birthdays. Uh, actually, we had a wedding party at the cafe and it was absolutely amazing. The fact that people choose to come celebrate their birthdays or any other special occasion at the cafe of all places, like this thing that Courtney and I worked so hard to create, that, that is one of the most fulfilling things for me. You get days where, you know, somebody gives you a bad review or something on Google or Yelp or whatever. And sure, that doesn't feel great, but that's like easily canceled out by just looking around and seeing how many people are having a great time. So do you feel like your community has followed you through the pandemic? Where do you think you are in that part of the experience? We definitely saw a number of our regulars move away. A lot of them tried to say goodbye because they'd gotten to know us pretty well and we're on a first name basis and they really enjoyed what we created. A lot of them are starting to come back. And some of them we haven't seen as much. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the ones who aren't showing up nearly as much are folks with kids. And it's like, you know, without kids being able to get the vaccine up until recently, it's been tougher for them. We've started to see a couple of families coming back, but I miss seeing some of those kids who, you know, they came in and they might've been like four years old and playing our giant copy of Animal Fun Animal in the window or something like that. And now seeing them and they're playing like Space Base or something else. It's like one of my favorites. And I'm like, wow, you're only seven and you're playing this game that I think has got a lot going on, but you're rocking it. So that's awesome. And it, it is really cool to see some of these kids uh, grow up and everything. Yeah, that's fantastic. So where do you feel like you are in the road to recovery? This is the real part. I can say something like, we're at about 80%. And I think that's about right. The problem is it's like 80% compared to what? And this is the real heartbreaking part. And it goes back to Courtney and I. Remember I was saying we were working like 120 hours a piece to get the cafe off the ground. We were, we were hustling. After that time, the next year or so, it was 
Courtney and I trying to recharge ourselves as humans without getting too personal or anything like that. When you're married and you're spending that much time with each other and you're working that hard on this thing that the two of you are working to create, it causes a lot of friction just between two people. Even if you weren't married, you were just friends, it would create a ton of friction. And so the next year was a lot of us repairing things in our relationship and trying to rebuild things to like the joy we used to have seeing each other. And it took a while individually and both together to get back to a spot where we were like people again, and we could see our friends because a lot of it too was we weren't getting to see our friends, people that you really care about and you want to see all the time. When you open a business, a lot of people didn't mention this to me prior to us opening. It makes sense when you think about it. But if your friends want to see you, they need to come to you because you're going to be stuck there for a while. And what this brings me back to was you were asking like, how are we doing compared to when we used to be? So we're saying the first six months of bonus round was us grinding ourselves to the bone. The next year was us just trying to become humans again. And then the next six months after that was amazing. Bonus round was really flourishing. Each month, month after month was the best month we'd ever had by a significant margin. And then the pandemic happened. Not only was this awesome community that we created, something we were really proud of taken away from us, but we knew that we had to redo all that hard work to get back to the point we were at. And that was the point where Courtney and I, we could go on a vacation for a week and our staff could run the place without us there. We were at a point where the cafe is actually making money now. Financially, this was a good decision for us to do. We were really taking off. I'm waiting for the day and the week, and I know it's right there on the horizon where I'm going to wake up and it's going to be that again. And we have different problems that we're trying to solve at that point of um, how do we fit more seats into the cafe? Because every seat we can fit in brings an enormous amount of money on a weekly basis back to the cafe. Do you feel like you have recovered some of the damage on your heart over the last year? The whole hobby, right, took a real hit. You were seeing it right at the ground level, at a business level, the kind of pain people were feeling by not being able to meet their friends and play games, right? Unfortunately, it's also hitting your pocketbook at the same time. Do you feel like you're 80% of the way there in terms of the pleasure you feel with the business and the joy it brings you? Yeah, I would say so. And, and, and actually, if not, even better than that. It feels good to be in the cafe on a busy night. Like Saturday, we were popping. And it's just great having people back in there and people being really appreciative that we're back open. And that is fulfilling again. And so when you ask personally, are we getting back to where we were? I think we're starting to. We're seeing interest grow steadily week after week. Each week is better than the previous one. We're working with what we got and we're happy with that. I feel like I've made poor Drew go through like a therapy session on the dark times of everything. But it's been really interesting to talk about the journey to getting it open and then those challenges. I think what I want to do is I want to take you through the mini game questionnaire, let you just talk about the hobby briefly for a few moments, and then we'll come back and just kind of let you go through the hours and when people can come see you so we can get you some business. And then we'll come back again. Maybe I'll get to the cafe and we'll do a live interview and just enjoy the noise in the background, whether it's with you and Courtney or just Courtney. Courtney can give us their opinion of how this all went. I'm curious to not be in the room and just listen to it afterwards. Let's take a change of pace and give you a break from all that. Let's have the Board Game Times mini game now. Give you a chance to talk about your gaming preferences and such. Drew, are you ready to take the Board Game Times mini game? Yeah, I'd love to. We finally get to talk about some board games a little bit. All right, let's do it. So my first question for you is, what is your gaming beverage of choice? When I'm playing games, it's usually like a coffee. I've been drinking a lot of cappuccinos. Um, You know, I'll go from one drink to the other at the cafe, especially being able to work somewhere where you have an espresso machine right there at arm's reach is real nice. Let me tell you that. I'll definitely enjoy a good beer, uh, a cider or some whiskey, but that's usually after games. So while you're playing, you are well caffeinated. Yep. All right. The next question. What's your preferred number of players around the gaming table? Ooh, uh, that's a good one. I think I'm in the two to four range. A good party game is fun every once in a while, but I think I just enjoy the quality time more where you can spend more time with just an individual person or a couple of people kind of enjoy each other's conversation and stuff like that a little bit more. All right, then next question. What do you think is your most admirable gaming trait or behavior? Um, I mean, it's got to be me teaching games. I'm, I'm trying to stay humble about it, but it's almost a double-edged sword, right? 
I teach games for a living. And then also when I go hang out with my friends and we happen to be playing board games that night, well, they want me to teach games. And you know what? For me, teaching games is work. I don't necessarily want to work on my day off when I'm hanging <laughs> out with friends, but I know that my friends like it so much and they appreciate it. So I, I will still be very willing to teach them games because it contributes to us having a nice night together. Teaching games is tough. I didn't talk about that too much. It's a totally different thing to be able to teach games to strangers and then get out of the way because you want them to have a good time. They want to spend time with each other, not with you. And not only that, you have eight other tables also waiting on you to teach them games. A lot of people tend to overteach rules. And the more you teach a game to somebody, like the more you're talking about the game, the less they're going to remember. The more concise you can keep it, the more they're actually going to remember anything you said. There's a point at which you start overteaching and they blank and forget literally everything you said. A lot of times what I'm telling staff is pay attention to when the patrons are sitting there and they start asking you questions, especially if they start interrupting me with questions. Because anytime that they're interrupting you with questions, chances are that if you worded what you were saying in a different order, they would have understood it better so that they weren't asking questions and interrupting you and, and this and that. The body language is such a big thing for me. And also my mindset when I'm teaching stuff at the cafe, at least, is, okay, what am I going to do next? I'm going to teach this game and then I'm going to teach Santorini to another table. And then I'm going to teach Ticket to Ride and then I'm going to teach Willard's Waterdeep. And I need to do all of those within the next 15 minutes because then I also need to seat a new table. I need to make sure reservations are checked in, all these other things. You're juggling a lot of stuff. To answer your question, teaching is, is something, as far as games go, that I'm, I spend a lot of time thinking about. All right. Well, the next question is going to flip this on its head. What do you think is your least admirable gaming trait or behavior? I know when Courtney and I are playing and one of us, maybe me, is winning by a lot that sometimes I should be okay just ending the game early. If the people you're playing with aren't having a good time, sometimes you got to recognize that like you're not the only one at the table. Sure, you're having a great time because you're winning, but look around the table. Is everybody else having a fun time? And if the answer is no, well, you know, you can maybe move on to another game sooner rather than later. Good advice. All right, next question then. What is a type or genre of game that you personally love to play? I think what I am most attracted to is engine building games or, you know, like there's some sort of overlapping system. A lot of times I'll like simultaneous play. What I've really gotten into lately is all of John DeClaire's games um, from AEG, Sun Mystic Veil, Space Base, Ecos, and Cubitos. He's quickly become, I think, my favorite designer. And all of his games involve some element of engine building and some element of simultaneous play. I really like that. The simultaneous play thing, I think, is just a healthy innovation that speeds up a lot of play. You're not waiting on other people to take their turn. You can start doing stuff yourself, or if you can be doing the same thing side by side with other players, it just makes it so you can pack in a more engaging experience into the game in a shorter amount of time, which is, should always be a goal. Yeah. I was just playing Space Base with some friends today, and great recommendation. And you're right, that simultaneous play just keeps it going. I got to ask a question. When you play Space Base, does everybody go space base? Does everybody like say space space in a funny voice? They have some way of saying it. It seems yeah. like space space. Yeah. Ours is a little <laughs> more shouted, like spaceship from the Lego movie, I think. Regulars at the cafe, like everybody will do it. And I don't think it's like something they got from me. It's just I see it organically come to fruition. Just something about that name. It just works. Uh, okay, then next question. What is a type or genre of game that you just don't enjoy? You know what? Honestly, I've gotten really soured on um hidden role games. So if we're talking like a resistance and Avalon and stuff, I've had a lot of bad experiences playing it. And it's more of like people's, how would I say, like social habits while they're playing. You see an ugly side of people sometimes when you're playing those games. I've had times where you've kind of figured out who the traitor is in the bunch and you're going to get to the accusation phase. And the traitors have realized that you know it's them, right? And so now they start like shouting over literally everything you say. So the rest of the table can't hear you talk. That type of thing. I see it happen with people and it's not something that I enjoy. You know what it is? People will come into the cafe and they'll go, hey, I want to play a game that's going to make all my friends hate me. What game is it? And they're so excited. And I'm like, I don't want my friends to hate me. Why would you want that? Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, so uh, that's the, the games that make your friends hate you. I'm less of a fan of, although, you know, your friends will hate you while you're playing Ticket to Ride and stuff for other reasons, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, you're avoiding that particular type of friction. I, I completely understand. 
Uh, next question then. What is a physical game component that you love? One of my friends, we agreed that we were going to kind of isolate. We were forming a pod. And one of the games she introduced me to is this really silly game. Like, it's ridiculous. It's called uh, Boom Boom Balloon. I always say it wrong as pop, pop, pop. The idea is you're sticking these sticks into the balloon and eventually it pops and it's got like a lot of tension. It's just a silly. It's not appropriate for the cafe at all because it's really loud. All right. So that balloon is drawing some particular love from you. The device that holds the balloon while you're, is just, it's, it's just a silly game. I like it a lot. So um, that one is one, this is on like a different trajectory, but it's the same one. I swear there was a game, I think it was called like the strange life of Billy Kerr. The cardboard on that specific game is like. 10 out of 10, like it's thicker or there's just something about uh, it. The night we were punching in the cafe, I think Ben Rossett might've actually been there or Andrew and Jeff might've been there that night. I know there were some other designers. It was one of those three guys, if not all three of them. And I was like, wait, you guys have to see this. Like, this is, this is deluxe. This experience of punching this specific cardboard is unlike any other. <laughs> it was, there was something very funny. It had an extra millimeter or something going on. Well, those are good. And nobody's ever mentioned either one of those. So you, you own that particular answer. Well done. Yeah, I like it. Okay, next question. Just a couple questions left. What is a game you own, and you own a lot, but that you haven't played? Oh, you know what? This is funny. So I'll answer it on two parts. Is There's a lot of games at the cafe that I can teach that I've never played. But so what's, what's a game that I own that I haven't played? You know what is one of them? Courtney, years ago when we were still back in California, bought me a copy of the Battlestar Galactica board game when it was like still brand new and, and everything for the holidays and I still have never played it. There's one other one it was a game my mom bought me when I want to say I was in fifth grade, maybe a copy of the original civilization board game, mm -hmm. the one that inspired the video game. I still have never played it. And that game, the back of the box has one of my absolute favorite things on the back of a box civilization on the back of the board game. It has estimated play time, but I think it's something like, two to 21 hours can you imagine sitting down and playing a game where you're like hey this should only take maybe two three hours we should be good but i need you to commit that we're going to finish it tonight and you can't go home until you do and like the sun has risen and set by the time you manage to finish this game that is wow <laughs> two to 21 hours that's insane that's asking an awful lot of your board gaming friends next to last question and you may have already answered it but it's similar but not quite the same what is just a game you really want to play, but never have? Ooh. So what's a game that I, I've been really wanting to play, but never have? Just never have. Oh, actually, you know what it is? There's something about me. When there's a lot of hype behind a game, I, I tend to be like, man, eh, I'll try it later. That was me with Dead of Winter. And I finally played Dead of Winter. I was like, wow, this is really clever. They came up with some cool stuff. Why didn't I play this sooner? So yeah, it's because you have that weird habit of not playing stuff when people hype it up the same was true for azul i played azul finally for the first time as much as i shouldn't admit it just a couple of weeks ago and like that came out when the cafe opened around that time and everybody was so thrilled about it and yeah azul was pretty good i'll say it now to actually answer your question though it's the opposite of what i've been saying when somebody says this game is awful you don't ever need to play it drew it is terrible i'm like i need to play it i need to see firsthand if what they're saying is true is this as bad as everybody says. So I bought a copy of Seafall on clearance. And I told myself, if nothing else, I'll just open all the little pretty boxes like an advent calendar and I'll get my like $16 worth or whatever I bought it for clearance on. I can't say whether Seafall is as bad as everybody says, but I have a copy on my shelf that Corny has promised me that we're going to play it sometime. One of these days we'll play Seafall. I never asked if you were playing because you thought it was going to be a good experience. So yeah. that's a great answer. Flips it on its side. Finally, what is a game you just currently want to recommend to people and why? I'm always really excited to make game recommendations. My problem is I'll recommend too many games. So I'll just keep it to two this time. Stay Cool and Kubitos. Have you had a chance to play either of these yet? Neither one. I'm familiar with them both, but haven't played either one. Stay Cool is amazing. For the listeners who might not have had a chance to play Stay Cool, I will sell them. So it's Ayala's game that came out maybe two weeks before the pandemic happened. What a bummer because it's a party game and you need at least three people to play it, um, preferably four or five. But it's this really silly trivia game where you're answering questions in real time. You have one player that's asking you questions that need to be answered by rotating these dice to spell out the answer. 
and another player who's asking you questions that need to be answered verbally. And you need to answer both of those at the same time, simultaneously. They're asking you questions and the clock is ticking down and it's stressful. And man, the designers did such a good job writing the questions for it. I've had people say that like, if you had memory loss issues or dementia or any of these things that the game would probably actually be really good for you as far as like um, mental muscle building in a sense, because the questions like are all on a completely different axis than the previous one. The first question might be four hundred and ninety three thousand two hundred and seven. Put the numbers included in this number in numerical order. And the next question is, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And the next question is aardvark, mouse, the moon, your house, which one is the smallest? And you know, all these things. <laughs> right. And, and it's one after another that it, it really makes your brain melt sometimes. But watching people play it is so good. Uh, so stay cool, really good. I could not recommend that enough for a party game. The next one is Kubitos. John declares as far, I think it's his most recent game. And it's a dice rolling game where you're rolling lots and lots of dice. You're racing around a track. All the dice do different things. They're all different colors. They have abilities. There's all kinds of replayability and variability and fancy setup stuff. Uh, different racetracks. The board's all double-sided. And, uh, he knocked out a park with this game. It's a ton of fun. There was a lot of hype around Quacks of Quedlinburg the year prior to the cafe closing for the shutdown. That was getting played all the time. We had tables waiting for other tables to finish it and like literally be, hey, are you done with that game yet? So that they could play Quacks. Yeah. And um, Kubitos is very similar in a lot of ways. And I think I like it a little bit more myself. That's excellent. A couple of great recommendations there. Stay cool and Cubitos. Congratulations. You made it through the mini game. You made it through the questionnaire. So now this is the part where I like to arrive at the shameless promotion part of the podcast. Give us some of the nuts and bolts about bonus round, where you're located, your hours, any nights you want to highlight, anything you just want to tell us about. I give the microphone to you. I'm really bad about shamelessly plugging myself, but I'm going to try to do a good shameless job of doing so right now. So yeah, bonus round. We opened in 2018. We're Chicago's first full service board game cafe, and we're located at 3230 North Clark Street, um, right off of the Belmont Red Line, um, right by Clark and Belmont, just a little bit of ways away from Wrigley Field, if you know where that is. It's our humble board game cafe located over there in Lakeview. We are just trying to create a more inclusive gaming environment something that's a little bit different than a lot of uh, game shops that other people might've been to in the past. Whether you're somebody that's not into board games at all, which I would think is kind of strange if they're listening to the podcast, (laughs) or um, somebody that's really into them, I think you should come swing by, say hi to us, let us show you some games, teach them for you, grab a drink, grab some sandwiches or whatever else you're in the mood for and have a good time. If you've come in, like after we very first opened in 2018, a lot of stuff has changed then. It's been uh, constantly iterating and trying to improve on things. Starting to roll out more events. We're doing a monthly miniature painting night where if you've never painted miniatures before, it's kind of more of just a fun social hangout, something you can still maintain a good social distance if that's a big concern for you, because it was for us when we first started doing that event. It was like our first event that we started doing. So it's like a miniature painting night. That's once a month. We provide all the paints, the miniature, and uh, some appetizers, and it's just a good time. Uh, We started doing D&D again, which Leticia and I were doing pre-pandemic and was insanely popular. So we're doing that again. We're looking to launch a bunch more events in the new year. I know we're going to be bringing back our LGBTQ night, um, which had been really popular pre-pandemic. We were waiting a little bit longer to doing like basically strangers playing with strangers kind of nights in general at the cafe, but we're going to start doing that again in the new year. We're still doing retail at the cafe and we're doing like a brown paper bag sale where we wrap games in brown paper. It's like a mystery game. You don't know what you're going to get. That's been really popular. A lot of people end up finding their favorite game that they might not have otherwise bought before. So you can find us on bonusroundcafe.com. That's our website. You can make reservations over the phone, in person, or since reopening added um, functionality on Talk, uh, which is like a Chicago-based reservation service here. It makes it really easy for scheduling tables and making reservations uh, any night of the week. We also do private events. So like if you ever want to bring in your corporate party or have a, a wedding party, like I was saying we did the other day, um, you can email us and we'll sort it out all the details and figure out what kind of experience you want and we'll cater it just for you. Yeah, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those other good places. We're pretty good about social media. Courtney does most of that and takes some awesome photos. Did we catch your hours? What oh, your regular hours yeah. are? So right now, our regular hours are open every day of the week except for Tuesday. So Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I want to say we're open 4 to 10 p.m. Friday is 4 to midnight. Saturday is noon to midnight. And Sunday is noon to 9 right now, I think. 
it changes a little bit seasonally based on you know how we expect everything. We've been talking about opening up Tuesdays. We've never been open on Tuesdays. What we're talking about, maybe starting to do that too. And I think uh, staff are on board with that. So we'll be doing that, which if I was going to say one last thing, I just got to say just another big thanks to all of our staff. They're really awesome. They put a lot of work into the place and we're grateful to have them. And we hope it's safe that way. Well, I just want to say thank you for being a guest on the show. Thank you for bringing another gaming community and gaming space to Chicago. That's really important. It's just great knowing that there are places like Bonus Round that exist. Having those places to count on, having those places to gather is so important. It's such a big part of what I want to represent and talk about on the podcast. Thank you for the amazing amount of hard work that you had to put into this. And I hope people can really get an appreciation now for the kind of work that it takes to put into a labor of love like this. I'm glad you made it through the pandemic. Thanks. I know know everything is not necessarily done yet, but thank you to your staff as well. Anybody who's listening, get over there, book a table, book several tables, book an entire night's worth of tables, get there on a regular weekly basis, whatever it takes. We want to, we want to open a couple more locations here in Chicago and, you know, more and more people coming out helps us do that. So that's awesome. And topic for the next podcast that we get you guys on. Thank you to Courtney, even though they are not on the show today, look forward to seeing you in person at the cafe and look forward to talking to you again soon on the podcast about uh, what comes next. Uh, absolutely. It was my pleasure. And thanks for all the kind words. I'm very grateful for having this opportunity to be on the podcast. This has been a lot of fun just talking about bonus round. Obviously have a lot to say about it. Well, thanks again, Drew. Take care. Cheers. And that is it for this episode. Thanks again to Drew Lovell for taking the time out of his busy weekly schedule to talk to me about bonus round cafe. I hope you'll all take the time to visit soon. And I hope you enjoyed my interview with Drew. Let me know what you thought of this week's episode or any past episode. I always love to hear feedback from listeners about what they like, what they dislike, and who they think I should speak to next. You can reach me at clark at boardgametimes.com. That's times with an S. Or on the Board Game Times page on Facebook. Thanks as always to my listeners. Please share the podcast with your gaming friends and rate and review. That's how we get the word out there. Until next time, thanks for listening. Play lots of games. Be good to one another. And may all of your board game times be the best of times. Take care.